Our prayer time, I'm going to lead you right back to hymn 575. There was a verse in there that uh, has uh, I'm going to add to my prayers. In verse 3 of 575, when we were singing Onward, Christian Soldiers, um, it says this. Let's go to prayer. Like a mighty army moves the church of God, brothers, sisters, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope, in doctrine, one in charity. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come into this church. Let us be as the saints on whose path we trod. Let us be as those that have preceded us in the faith. And they have not left us artifacts. They have not left us a museum to gaze upon. They have left us a living faith, a movement that takes us from one place to another on mission. So Lord God, guide us, shepherd us, lead us in that. Father, as we meet here on any Sunday morning, there are many among us that have some brokenness, that have need of healing in their lives because those things that we know as illness, brokenness of mind or spirit, bereavement have walked into their lives. So upon the men and women of this church, I ask one thing. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come upon us and fill us and guide us and heal us. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Upon the teachers and the students and the administrators and the staff of the schools in our area, and of course across the world, we say, come, Holy Spirit, come. For Lord, we know that these young lives are being shaped moment by moment, and every day and every moment is an impactful moment. And so we pray that your prevailing spirit might be over them. And so for those that return to school, though they be educated and called to be educated in reading, writing, arithmetic, and many more things, we also ask, come Holy Spirit, come, upon those who seek to know more, that they might also know more about you. Lord, for the mission and the movement of this particular congregation, for the work that we do, we say, come Holy Spirit, come. Eradicate all of our good ideas and replace them with your own. Because all we seek to do in everything that we endeavor for is to follow the wave of your Holy Spirit that you've given to us. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Into Marian Methodist and all of our partner churches. And Lord, we ask that you minister to us today in a few moments when Pastor Keith comes here to speak upon this altar, this chancel. Come, Holy Spirit, come upon him because he is a man like all the rest of us. He has this, that, and the other thing. Joys, concerns, and brokenness running in his life because he's a man. And so we ask, Lord, that you allow him, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to set all that aside today. And let the spirit that you've placed in him prevail in his word. So upon him, come Holy Spirit, come, we pray. In the name of the Father, we say all these things, and we seal our prayers by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm certain that Pastor Keith may um, add to what I'm going to read to you this morning from the scriptures, but um, two specific scriptures uh, have been placed on his heart to guide us today. The first from Acts, the second chapter, speaking of the disciples. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And in Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Praise be to God. Brothers and sisters, will you welcome Pastor Keith back to your pulpit. Good to be here. Good to be back. This is lab three up here. Are we good here? Let's see here. Hey, there we are. Awesome. It's been a while since I've had to use this thing. You know, I've been gone for a couple weeks. Um, and I'm very, very glad to be home. Very glad to be back. Uh, a, a week ago, we were, I think by this time, we were somewhere over the probably over Cuba or something like that, flying back from Haiti, and we had an amazing, amazing trip, and I'm very, very uh, hopeful that we'll see a lot of you here tonight at 6 o'clock to share with you about our trip. Um, this particular trip was was really incredible for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons was because of the 15 people that we took down with us, not including the two girls that were there all summer that we brought back, so we brought back 17 altogether, but of the 15 that went down... Um, just, just a couple weeks ago, only two of us had ever been there before. So we sent 13 brand new people to do ministry to Haiti. And I'm telling you what, they represented you extremely well. <clears throat> this team worked very hard and was a huge blessing to the people of, of Haiti. And the stories that you're going to hear tonight, I think, are going are to be very impactful. So I really hope that, that you can come tonight and, and hear about that. So that'll be right here. Another plug right here in this room at six o'clock. And of course, everyone's asking, when's the next trip? When can I go back? You know, we're looking at another spring trip. So uh, just be praying about that. <clears throat> but today, Pastor Mike and I are beginning a three-week sermon series on the mission of the church. And that's important to do about this time of year, typically, I've discovered, because this is the time of year when everybody's lives uh, begin to just step up even more in terms of activity and commitments, and we can very easily just 
coast in some of the areas of life, like church sometimes, where, where we just do what we do and it becomes a routine. So it's a good time for us to, to take stock of who we are and what we're doing and what our mission is. And we, we talk about this maybe once a year, but it really, it's not just about what we talk about in a sermon. It's something that we talk about all the time because everything that we do comes from our mission. It comes from why we exist and what we do. We're a very intentional church. We don't just do things for the sake of doing them. We do them because of what our mission is. It's important to do that. Uh, and of course, our mission at the church, as you see, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our mission statement. But what I want to do is talk about what this is all about as a church. And in order to do that, we have to define what we mean when we talk about church. What is church? Because, you know, if I were to ask this group of people here gathered in this room, you know, what is the church? I, I think I would probably get... Or, or what is the purpose of church? What's it all about? We'd probably get some various answers, wouldn't we? I mean, for some people, church is the place that you go to catch up on what your friends are doing and to, to spend time together and you endure the pastor talking for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, you know. And, uh... <laughs> What's so funny? Uh, you endure that so you can get downstairs and eat donuts and have coffee and find out what your friends are doing. We have fun activities and things happen that way. For church, that's what, some, that's what the church experience is for many people in our culture. For others, church is about education. They come and they want to learn. They, they, they take notes and they read ahead in the scriptures. They go to classes and studies and they dig in and, and, and they view church. They don't want to be bothered with other humans, right? They just want to learn, right? I don't need to be in a group or, or deal with other people. Just, just get me alone with the pastor's study and the Bible and the commentary, and, and I'm great with that. For many people, that's what it's about. It's about learning. And for other people, church could be about, you know, hey, this is a group that's mobilized to take on some of the needs of our community. And, and people will gather and they'll say, well, the church is really all about, it's not, you, it doesn't matter what you really believe, it doesn't matter what you think and what your personal views are, all that matters is, are you doing good things in the community, right? That's another way that some people view church. You know, and the, the truth is, there's many, many more. But what I want to talk about today isn't necessarily, you know, our personal opinions on, on what the mission of the church is. I want to talk about the mission of the church given from the person who invented the church. Right? And of course, that's Jesus Christ. The church wasn't thought up by some, you know, people gathered in a room and said, all right, we need something to do on, on Sundays or back in the, in the day on Saturdays. We need something to take care of for some couple hours in the morning. No, this was given to us by God. So I want to talk about what the scriptures say the church really is. And then, of course, how its mission becomes our mission and what it's all about. So the church, in my view, I can summarize it into three things from the scriptures. And the first one is this. The church is the gathering of the people of God. Now, the word church is first used in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16. I'm not going to put that on the screen. I'll just tell you what's going on. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. Now, they had been with him for a while now, and he'd sort of made a name for himself. And Jesus had done some things that others hadn't done. He'd spoken ways that others hadn't spoke, and he had distinguished himself among, among a, a landscape of various religious figures. And as they're walking and talking, Jesus says to his disciples, who do, who do people say I am? What are they saying about me? 
And of course they respond, well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah, some say you're like John the Baptist. And they went down the line of who other people said that Jesus was. But then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You guys know me better than anybody else. You've been with me longer. You know, you know me more than the crowds. What about you? Who do you think that I am? And, and, and Peter's response to Jesus, it sets Jesus up to make a declaration and a promise. And here's what Peter said. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay? The Christ, the Christ, one Christ. The Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the person who was foretold by the prophets to come and bring salvation to the Jews and to the rest of the world. The person who God would bring as a deliverer. And and they had waited for this person and prophets had foretold of this person. And, And here was Jesus and here was Peter saying, that's who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. No one had ever said that before and been able to be right about it anyway. So this is who Peter says that Jesus is. And at the response to Peter's statement, Jesus makes a declaration and then he makes a promise. And his declaration is this, that Peter's statement about who Jesus is, that it came not from anything that Peter heard from another human being, but rather from God himself. That the statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter didn't learn that in Sunday school. He didn't learn it because it didn't exist. He didn't learn that in Awanas or in, or in youth group. He learned it from God himself. And Jesus declared that. And the declaration is that he presents this as a revelation from God. And the prediction that he makes then is that this statement of faith would become the foundation of a great movement. Even Peter himself would become the foundation of a great movement called the church. And that Jesus himself would build the church and that it would be so powerful that the gates of hell could not even prevail against it. It was as if Jesus said, whatever the most powerful force in the universe is for evil, which is the gates of hell, that won't be strong enough to overcome this movement that I'm about to start based on what you just said, Peter. And then to... to, uh, Make that even more real to Peter, he changes his name. Because actually, I should be saying Simon, because his name was Simon. He changed it to Peter at that moment, which the word Peter literally means rock. He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was saying to Peter that, that you as a person, and what you just said, more importantly, will be the foundation of something incredible that I will build, that nothing will be able to overthrow, and it's called the church. Now, what's interesting about this word church in English, okay, that it comes from a translation of, from a Greek word, because of course Matthew's gospel wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, and the word that is used is the word ecclesia, okay? It's probably a familiar word to, to you if you've been around church for a while. We, we talk about that word. We say, oh, that's the Greek word for church, ecclesia or ecclesia. Well, let me tell you about that word for a minute because it's very important that you understand what it means. The word ecclesia was not a religious word. It wasn't a word that had anything to do with worshiping God or religion or anything. The word ecclesia simply means this. A gathering together of people for a specific purpose. A gathering together of people for a specific purpose. So you could say, well, the Ecclesia was gathered down at Kinnick to watch the game. You know, of course, you wouldn't be talking about the church, 
But you'd be talking about a gathering group of, of people. You could say that in multiple contexts. So how did this word become, you know, sort of co-opted by the religious world? Let me tell you about that for a moment, okay? So the, here's, here's what happened. Because Jesus' words could literally be translated. I will build my own assembly of people, and the foundation of it will be the right understanding of who I am. Okay? That's what he could have said. But the way we have it brought to us is, is, is this. So why don't our English translations use the word just gathering instead of the word ecclesia? I'll tell you what happened real quick, and I'll try to make this brief. Here's what happened. For the first 300 years of Christianity, okay, it's illegal for us to gather as the body of Christ. It's illegal for us to have public worship. What we're doing here right now would be punishable by the authorities. You couldn't do that. So groups of peoples met informally in homes and in caves, wherever they could, but always underground, always in secret because of fear of punishment. Because they're under the authority of the Roman world. And the Roman world is a pagan world. They believed that their Caesar was a god. They believed in many gods. They had all sorts of, of idols and pagan worship. Well, when the Roman Emperor Constantine in the 4th century announced that he had become a Christian, okay, imagine that. Christianity is this little weird sect of Judaism that's kind of underground. Now the emperor himself becomes a Christian. And of course, after he became a Christian, he decided it'd probably be a good idea to make that religion legal. So he makes Christianity legal. Well, then sometime later, not only is Christianity now legal in the Roman Empire, it becomes the state religion. The official religion of the Roman Empire became Christianity. Well, when this happened, some things took place, some of which could be said were good, and some of which could be said were bad in terms of Jesus. What happened was this. All of the wealthy and powerful people that were used to worshiping their pagan gods, even emperors themselves, now were all of a sudden told that they were Christians. So basically what happened was they took many of their pagan concepts and ideas and religious practices and they just brought all that baggage with them into Christianity, okay? And one of the things that they brought with them was this. They loved to build big fancy buildings to worship their gods in, okay? If you've ever been to Rome, I, I have, and I, if you go into Rome, you see these amazing ancient buildings that were built to the pagan gods, which later became Catholic churches, Okay, so this practice continued, and of course, so these ornate structures were built. Because you ever, you ever wonder in history how we went from Christianity being underground to now we have all these big, beautiful cathedrals and buildings? This is how it happened. The church became wealthy and powerful, and all of these ideas about how they worship their pagan gods were now brought into how they worship Jesus. So they built these big, elaborate buildings and structures, and of course, they didn't speak Greek, they spoke Latin. And you know what the Latin word for big fancy building to worship in? It's called basilica, okay? It's a familiar word. We use that word today, the basilica. We still have basilicas. And that basically means this big fancy place to go worship God. Well, the Latin word is, is basilica, and the German word, okay, is kirche, from which the word church is derived. So the word church is like a fourth generation word from, from what Jesus talked about. It's a, it's a German translation of a Latin word, okay? So why is all this important? Because here's what I'm talking about. The word ecclesia means something far different from the word kirche. So 
in Matthew, when it says ecclesia, we make that jump to where we live in the word church, and they're two completely different things. Because you want to know what a basilica was? It became a place. It's a location. It's a physical place. It's a building. And when we made this transition as a, as a religion from understanding our gathering together as our identity as a church into a location or building, that's where we wind up with this disconnect. You see, people talk all the time now about, well, I got to go to church. And what they mean is, I got to go to that building, right? I got to go over to that place. I got to go into that building. And that's why we have some of this baggage in our minds about church buildings, okay? Now, think about it. I have it too, you guys. In my mind, I have an idea of, of this idea that a church building is somehow a little bit more sacred than a regular building, right? Or that a church building should look a certain way or should feel a certain way. And I'm not here to, to talk about how we emotionally react to those things because I think that there's reality there. But we have to make an understanding here. In the world of Jesus and the original world of the church and in the mission of the original disciples, all of this would be completely foreign to those guys. They'd walk into this and they'd be like, what is going on here? Okay? I mean, they had the temple. They had the temple and they had the synagogue, but the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Okay? That was gone. So all of this, as the Christianity was growing and building, there was no building. So when they talked about church, what they meant was the gathering of the people. So first and foremost, the church is the gathering of the people of God. People on a mission. People that had a purpose. And their mission was not something that was dreamed up at a planning meeting. It was given by God. It was God's mission. They gathered together with the foundation of their belief and the foundation of their gathering in, in who Jesus Christ is. It wasn't based on some you know, social policy or some other thing in the world or some political thing. It was all centered on the person of Jesus Christ. So you couldn't have a true church unless the foundation of it was truly Jesus Christ. Because it's His church. It's His mission, not our mission. Jesus created the church. Jesus builds the church. And Jesus sustains the church. So what was the mission that Jesus gave the church? Well, you know, you're very familiar with Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission. In the Great Commission, the, the disciples come to Jesus and He's about to be brought up into heaven. He's resurrected and He gathers them together one more time. And He gives them this, this commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We, we, we preach this all the time. This very famous text because from it we get this idea of what our mission is. It's a clear command given by Jesus to his followers. And what happened next was the beginning of this movement of which we are a part of here today. See, in short, his command to them is his command to us. It's his command to you. Our command is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our mission. And this is where it comes from. So the church, number one, is the gathering together. I promise that was the longest point, okay? Number two, the church is the body of Christ. 
This is a, 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 an interesting metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses a lot in the New Testament, speaking of the church. He calls the church the body of Christ. For example, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says to the individuals, he says, now you are a part of the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay? The body of Christ. And each person is a member of that body. In Colossians 1, 24, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Basically what he was saying was, you know, Jesus Christ founded the church and he gave us the mission, but he didn't do everything for us. He sends us out. And Paul was saying, I'm making up for what he says. I'm doing his work. I'm filling up and I'm suffering and I'm sacrificing, but I rejoice in that because you're the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. What that means is simply this. The church is the physical representation of Jesus in the world. To use a term that we're familiar with here, we are his hands and feet. This means that when we serve each other, we're serving God. We're serving Christ. Consequently, it also means that when we sin against each other, we sin against Christ. Okay, number three. The church is this. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, if I were to ask you, apart from this sermon, we were just having coffee one day, and I said, what do you think, as a Christian... What's the pillar and foundation of truth? I bet 99% of you would say it's the Bible. I bet 99% of you would say the pillar and foundation of truth is the Bible, right? But do you want to know what the Bible says the pillar and foundation of the truth is? It says it's the church. Now think about that for a second. Where did the Bible come from? Did it just drop out of the sky one day? Did somebody just wake up and under a bush, hey, there's the Bible? No, the Bible came through the church. The Bible came by the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through God working through the church. These people gathered together and they prayed and they fasted and they conferenced and they, they were led by the Holy Spirit of God to put together what they referred to as the canon of our faith. We have the Hebrew scriptures. Now the church needed its Christian scriptures. So we had the Old Testament, which, you know, the Old Testament never calls itself the Old Testament. It's the Scriptures, right? Well, now we have what we call the New Testament, which is also the Scriptures. And that came through the church. The Apostle Paul, writing to, to his, his apprentice Timothy, says this in 1 Timothy 3.15. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, here's why that's important to Keith Nestor and to Mike Morgan and to all of you, hopefully, as well. Especially in our culture today, especially in our world of denominations and all of the mess that we're in right now. Here's why that's important. The church is only the church as long as its foundation is the truth. The minute that the church's foundation stops being the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what his mission is for us, it is no longer a church anymore. It's an institution doing whatever institutions do. A church is only a church as long as its foundation is the truth of Jesus Christ. Because I'll tell you something right now. I've been to a lot of churches and know of a lot of churches where 
who Jesus Christ is is not even a secondary issue. It's like a 20 secondary issue. Because they've got all these other things they want to do. They've got their agendas. <clears throat> they've got their concerns. They've got their, 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 their things that are important to them. And when you start talking about Jesus, you're looked at as though you're some kind of backwards, hillbilly, small-minded, you know, person that isn't relevant to today's culture and society. The church is all fellowship stuff, this small group stuff. We're trying, this is what we're trying to do, right? That's what we're trying to do. Fourth thing is they devoted themselves, it says, to prayer and worship. This is what they were devoted to. And then lastly, of course, but not least, certainly, was serving the poor. These were the things. This was what the early church did. This was its mission. Not because somebody wrote a statement on the wall, but because God wrote it on their hearts. And because Jesus told them to their faces, this is what you're supposed to do. Right? This was their mission. So, What's our mission? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's what we say. That's what our denomination says. But I'm here to tell you this. It's a great statement. And we are doing it. I can't speak for everybody else. Are we doing it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you this, I've been in lots of churches in my life, I've seen a lot of churches, and I've never been a part of a local congregation that is more committed to living out that mission than I have here at First Methodist and Marion. Never have I been a part of a church that has been more devoted and dedicated to not just saying a mission, but actually living it out and fulfilling it and becoming devoted to it. Now, I know there are some of you here in this room that you're like, I just got here, I'm a visitor, I'm new, I don't know what's going on, I'm just kind of floating in and out. That's, of course, that's part of it. But what I'm saying is, and I've been here for five years now, what I'm saying is, is I'm proud to be a part of this church because I believe that at our foundation, at our foundation, we are doing what we can to live out this mission. That's why anytime that there's a need to be filled here, it happens like that in this church. And organizations in the community know that. That's why they call us when they need something done. That's why when, we, when we're encountered with things, this church is amazing at stepping up and doing that. I, I experienced that so much when I was in Haiti because I had so many conversations with people down there and with the, with the, the missionaries we were on the ground with, they just told me over and over, man, we are so thankful for Mary Methodist Church these guys are Baptists from Florida. They think Methodists are like, like extinct. They're like, they don't know what to do with us. Okay, you're Methodist? What? But you guys love God so much. I mean, I know, it sounds crazy. I'm like, yeah. And I, I told them, I'm like, look, here's our, here's our goal for you guys down here in this, in this mission in Haiti. Is we want to be the best mission team you've ever had. You know? And I put that before our team and they rose to that. And it's, it's an awesome thing to be a part of this church. But remember, this church isn't some organization that lives outside of its people. It's not what the church does, it's what people do, you see? There were 15 people that went down there, and two girls that were there all summer, right? They did that. There are people that, that 
made stuff for us to take and put money in offering plates and handed us checks so that we could go. There are people here that make school kits and grow food and take it to people and and donate stuff to the food bank and serve meals and take care of people and serve one another and teach classes and watch kids and, and, and love each other. That's not done by an organization. That's done by people. So here's what I want to put before you as I I wrap this up. This is the church's mission, but it also has to be your mission. If there was like a little lobby of your life and there was a sign up on there of what your mission was, what would it say? What would it be? And are you doing it? You know, I believe that as much as we're doing, there's always room for each of us when we look at that list of stuff to be devoted to. I know that there's room in my life to grow. And I bet there is for you. But here's the awesome thing about this gathering together is we get to do it together. I don't have to just live in my weaknesses all the time and never grow. I can lock arms with somebody who's really good at something that I'm not really good at and they can lift me up and and they can lock arms with other people who are really good at something they're not really good at and people who can't do this can find others who can and, and collectively we live out this thing called Christianity this faith in God with a mission and a purpose based on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And when we do that, we're powerful because Jesus said, not even the gates of hell shall be able to stand against us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for so many things, Lord, but most importantly, we thank you that we know your promise is true, that you are building your church God, and we seek more than anything to be a part of it. We seek more than anything to live that out in our individual lives every single day. And Lord, as a gathering together, God, reach into our hearts. Lord, if there are those here that need to to grow in their faith, God, let them find people willing to help them. If there are those who need uh, assistance, let let people find those who can help, Lord, and let each of us find in each other encouragement, but find most of all in you or our very purpose and mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.